ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sat down with Jackson Adams. We talk waterfowl, pet gobblers, KVC, and his motivation and drive. As the future of hunting, Jackson made me feel real good about the outlook. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Jackson Adams. Jackson, thank you, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks for sitting down with me. Uh, We're going to just jump right into it. Why don't you give us some background and an intro? Uh, my name is Jackson Adams. I'm uh, 17 years old. I'm from Dalton, Georgia. And um, just in high school, it's my last year. Doing school and work at the same time, staying busy. That's it. And I got you up late on a school night, man. Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> so. Yeah, don't bother me, man. <laughs> So what about hunting, man? You're, you're my youngest guest to this point, man. But to me, it's pretty important to get a perspective from everyone, right? doesn't matter. Um, so it's pretty important that we get somebody, you know, that that's uh, pretty youthful. Uh, I know, you know, chest is out at 17, so I apologize for that. But I think it's a <laughs> pretty important topic, man, you know, to, to get it from your yeah. perspective and, and what it means to you. Um, so why don't you just take us into your hunting and outdoor life, man, give us some background on that and how you got started and what it means to you. And we'll just take it from there. Yeah. I mean, I started hunting when I was probably 10 years old. My dad never really did any hunting. I was, I did most of my hunting with my grandfather when he was alive. We'd go out deer camp and I'd always take one of the red rider baby gun and sit with him in a deer stand. And he'd sit there and let me act like I was shooting deer and whatnot. But, I really took off with it when I was probably 12. I got my dad into it. We started doing, started rifle hunting, kind of found some land that we got permission to hunt on and just ran off with it. I just fell in love with deer hunting and whatnot and then 
changed over to the archery side of things, and I fell deeper in love shooting a bow. <laughs> now, Something about it. Now, yeah, now that's all I hunt with a bow. I mean, when I'm deer hunting, I'm, there's not a gun in my hand. I'm carrying that Hoyt. So, but the main thing I really hunt for now is birds. I've I've gotten involved in where my where I work at. It's a quail and pheasant farm, and uh, so he got me into upland bird hunting, and I just found out he talked about waterfowl hunting and whatnot, and uh, I just took off from there. Any type of bird. I'm gonna try to do my best and chase it. And, uh, but I had a buddy when I was 15 ask me, he said, you ever done any uh, layout blind hunting for geese or ducks or anything? And I was like, dude, I've never shot at a duck or a goose one. He's like, well, you want to go with me this weekend? I was like, sure, why not? And uh, from then on, waterfowl has been my passion. That's all. I've kind of kicked deer hunting to the side and anytime I have a chance to get out and chase waterfowl, that's what I love to do. So I get out there and do it no matter the weather or whatnot. So that that's a pretty big statement, man. What what about that waterfowl hunting that, that pulled you away from that archery? Really, I have no idea. It's just being able to hang out with a bunch of buddies, in my perspective, is just really what me what waterfowl kind of is because you you can sit around and sit in a duck blind and talk with each other and but with deer hunting you kind of you can sit with somebody but you're really just sitting there looking at each other not even talking just mouthing stuff off and trying to understand what the other person's saying and uh but waterfowl hunting we got out that first day i went we got out there and just sat there and talked and talked and talked until we saw, we heard birds coming and that's when it got serious. We got ready to rock and roll and put the smack down on a few. And, um, but, and the memories you can make with, I mean, you can make some pretty good memories deer hunting, but when you have a bunch of your pretty much best friends that you've been hunting with ever since you started and a duck bomb, it kind of helps you store memories that you can look back on once you get older and think, you remember that time in the duck blind when we did this? Just stuff like that is what got me hooked on bird hunting. And it's next level mess talking too, right? You watch a guy yeah. spend spend a whole mag of shells and uh, nothing falls out of the sky, man. That gives you a little bit of power over them and, and some good laughs too. Mm-hmm. And we have... We've had plenty of laughs when that's happened before. We uh, the first time I went on, I chose I it, it was my spot, and he was like, "You got anywhere we could shoot some geese?" And I was like, "I can do my best to try and find some." And I got on a good good bit of birds that day, and we went out that weekend. And first flight came in, and we killed I think eight of them out of ten, and uh. One flew back by, and one of my buddies said, to him, I got it, I got it, calling shots. And he shot three times and missed every single time. And from then on, it's been a running joke with him. Just, you gonna, did you hit that one? We just, we give him heck about it. 
and um, he, he takes pride in that after that one time. Yeah, but it's just something else with bird hunting. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. that that camaraderie is a big deal, man. For sure, and it says a lot, right? Yeah. For your for your years to look and value that time and have that perspective on on looking back at it in the future, man. That that says a lot about what it does for you and to you when you're out there. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, with the guys that I hunt with, all of them are older than I am. I have I'm the youngest one in the group, so it's also a lot. My, every hunt, there's pretty much a life lesson and a hunting lesson to learn when I'm with the guys that I hunt with. And I think I'd tell them every time I go with them, I thank them for it and know and talk, tell them that they've taught me something and showed me how to do better in waterfowl. So how did your, how did your 2018 season go? It was a little, I mean, it was a little slow. We had bird numbers with Georgia for one. Trying to be a waterfowl hunter is not too great. We, uh, in Georgia, we focus on the old fast, we call them the F-19s, the wood ducks. And, uh, we just, we try to lay the smack down on them every chance we can because that's what we're used to shooting. But I took two trips this year, one out to Arkansas and then one to Real Foot up in Tennessee. And by far the best trip I've been on was at Real Foot. We went on a guided trip with a guy who just we just happened to run into him in town at the tire shop, and he knew my dad, and he was like, "Y'all want to go on a waterfowl hunt?" But I was like, "Heck, I don't care. Let me ask Jackson and see if he wants to go." And I was all for it. I was like, "Let's go. Let's let's go see what this place is all about." And that trip was. It was real special because it goes to show the difference in the migration, what it can do in a day. Because that first day we had, we sat in the duck blind from 5.45 a.m. till 3 o'clock in the afternoon and killed six ducks. It was, it was slow, but we had a bunch, we had a bunch of good laughs and the guides were, phenomenal they knew how to treat their customers right and knew how to knew what to do to get birds in and it was a sight man we had it was the biggest spread of decoys that i'd ever seen in my life i was i was amazed yeah it's pretty amazing the amount of decoys that guys use is something else to me yes there was in the spread that we hunted over there's at least i'd say 90 decoys or so and we were surrounded by decoys which I was like to me being a Georgia waterfowl hunter you're like is this too much like we don't normally put this many like we don't have to put this many decoys out and the guys were like this is minimum decoys that we put out and I was like oh god I was like if I had to do that back home I'd be up at 3am setting decoys till sunrise that's the same thing I think man I've talked to a couple guys and, uh, you know, they're talking 20 dozen, 30 dozen, 40 dozen decoys. And I'm like, man, what kind of work is that? You know, seems like, a, yeah. I don't know, man. I'm not much of a, a waterfowl hunter. I'm not much of a wing shooter anyway. 
So uh, yeah, yeah, I look at that and I'm like, man, you can take me out. I'll, I'll drop a a hen decoy and a a gobbler decoy out there for some turkey. But man, that's about it. That's that's another thing, turkey hunting. It's just yes, it's got. I had, but that second day, go back to that. Yeah, go hunt, ahead. I'm sorry, man. At, go back to that hunt at Real Foot. It was just that first day, six ducks. I was like, man, is this really how it's going to be? Uh, at first, I was—I really wasn't being doubtful, but I was like, kind of, it kind of lowers your expectations. Like, I've heard so much about this place, people killing 10-man limits and whatnot, and then we come out there and shoot six. Like, But that second day, we had, it was pouring rain, since the time we woke up to the time we left that afternoon to go home, we had we sat in the duck blind in the pouring rain, twenty mile an hour winds, couldn't see across the cove or anything. But but we killed some ducks. It was that was an experience that I remember forever. We had we'd be sitting there and then all you'd hear is the guide would start calling, you're like, Oh crap, where's these ducks at? You couldn't see them until they were 10 yards right in front of you. And it was, it was phenomenal. We killed 26 that day and it was, it was amazing. I was just, I was in shock of how we killed that many ducks and pouring rain and 20 mile hour winds and seeing the migration that day was insane. We saw, we had a guy from Missouri who was a, uh, he's a waterfowl conservation and based out of somewhere in middle of Missouri, and he said we probably saw over twenty thousand ducks that second day migrating south. Wow! Which is a sight. I was just—you'd look up, and all you'd see was ducks just flying everywhere. Oh. And it—it it was just, yeah, the sky was covered in black. And that's—that's that's what we say when we go anywhere, and they're in the middle of a migration. We're just like, black sky, boys, means a good day. And normally when we see that, we put the hammer down on a good bit of birds. So what's your ratio, man? Uh, it's my ratio. Shells spent to birds on the ground. Uh, I'm I'm not going to brag or anything, but I would consider <laughs> a decent, myself a decent shot, or at least I think so. I don't know. You can. I bet some of my buddies would probably say otherwise, just to give me heck about it. But we say we normally go for about six guys. I'm not talking about six guys. I want to. No, hold on, hold on. I want to know what your ratio is. Are you a a sixty percent shooter? You shooting in that F range? Are you ninety percent, eighty percent? I'd say it's about eighty percent, kind of a mid range. Mm Hmm. That's good though. That's that's a good and that's a good number. Way better than me. I'm gonna tell you that. <laughs> shoot, I'm, there's on days and there's off days. I've had, I mean, I've had hunts where we'll have a group of birds come in twenty yards in front of you, and I'll shoot three times and like, did I drop a single bird in that group? And then I, that's when I'll get in my head and have to tell myself, if you want to kill birds, you got to do better than that. And uh kind of push myself to do good and 
That's why, because I'm, I'm super competitive. It's with the buddies. It's, I mean, it's about having fun and making memories and killing birds, but kicking we make it a competition butt. every oh, now yeah. and then. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to kick some butt. We got to get, yeah, got to get the competition in there somehow. And, uh, but yeah, I'd say probably about 80%, 75, 80% oh, right in that range. Don't downgrade the number. We'll, we'll call it 80. <laughs> call it 80. We'll call it 80. But like you said, people putting out big spreads, it's just a I've seen it multiple times. Arkansas, you'll go out there and guys will be like, hey, you want to go hunt a, a snow goose hunt? And he said, I've got 80 dozen set out. He said, birds are coming in on it right now. I'm like, dude, 80 dozen decoys? Like, seriously? That's crazy. And then once you go, you realize that's what it takes to get those birds to come down. Like, you got to have the numbers to pull the numbers. And and the calling has it pl- plays a big part in that, too, I imagine. Yes, for sure. And a lot of the guys that do the snow goose, like, like you were saying, 40 to 60 dozen, they're normally running like an electric collar, so they don't have to kill themselves blowing on a goose call or whatnot, trying to get these birds to come down. And, um, but for us around here, we don't have the numbers to be doing the electric collar, so we just hammer down and try to do our best. And I hear that's half the fun is, is calling them in yourself. Right, tricking them to so come into those spreads. Mm, I started calling when probably two years ago. When I first realized, I was like, I'm going to try and start doing this, see what I can do with it. And I, everything that I've been told is keep the call in your hand no matter where you go. Stay using it to get better and be able to call birds by yourself. And that's, from the guys that I've hunted with, that's in the field when it's slow, we'll sit there and call back and forth to each other and tell each other tips and what not to do, how to get birds to work into a spread on certain weather conditions and how to use your call to the advantage to make the numbers come in and count. And what is there? I, I did an episode with... Uh... Colby Fitzgerald, he's a waterfowl guy out of Washington. And I want to say there's there's seven or eight like go-to calls that, that most guys use. What are you using on them? There, I'm using uh like you talk about name brands. No, or? no, no, no. What kind of calls? Feeding call. Uh mainly it just depends on what the it depends on what the birds are doing that day, in my opinion. Because some days you'll have birds working and you'll use a feeding call and they'll just go nuts and they'll come right down to you. But you go out the next day and use a feeding call and you're like, what the heck? This was working yesterday. What am I doing wrong now? And you just got to sit there and mess around with it for a while till you figure out what the birds want to hear to bring them down. And because around here, in, or around here in Georgia, these birds, when they come down, have more than likely been shot at it more than a couple times. So we really got to make the calling and 
decoy spreads and everything else count to help us kill the birds we want to kill and be able to make a pretty good pile with the birds that we've got here that we've had competition with the guys up north that have shot feathers off of them. So they do they get call smart, wise to the calls, or they get very call smart. That say when I went my second trip this year was Arkansas, and I went for three days out there with a buddy of mine who was on a lodge, and um, you'd sit out there in a duck mine, you'd see other people across the across the field that were sitting in another one, and you could tell these guys knew what they were doing. Because you did not hear a single duck call come out of that blonde. And me and my buddy were both from Georgia. We're like, heck, this is our, it was my first time out there in a while. And my first time out there calling. And um, me and him would see birds and we would go to town and they'd turn the other way. And they just knew better than to come down right there on top of us. And we'd sit there and watch pretty much every bird fly to that other blonde and get shot. <laughs> <laughs> it was a rough day, me and him both, because that was the last hunt we had before we had to come home. And what makes the story even worse was the night we got there, we were driving a, uh, a Duramax, and um, my buddy stopped at a gas station and was like, walked inside and said, I'm getting diesel at the diesel pump. And the lady said, okay. And there was... Performance diesel, truck diesel, and then he thought it was regular diesel was unleaded 87. Oh. And he filled that truck full of gas. And uh, we got going down the road, and it started sputtering. I was like, dude, get on the gas. I'm ready to get there. It was probably 1.30 in the morning. I was like, dude, we got to get up and hunt in the morning. And um, he was like, I've got it to the floor. I do not know what's wrong. And I was like, oh, crap. And so we were up all the first night, got probably 30 minutes of sleep. And then we had to get a tow truck called, called the buddies from the lodge and woke them up. They were mad. They were, they were pretty mad at us for that. And, uh, but that next day, bird numbers were low. We knew. We kind of knew what we were getting ourselves into, but we're like, heck, it's a trip out to Arkansas. Might as well go ahead and see what what we can make of it. And um, for three days, we killed two ducks the whole trip. That's kind of the way it goes with all hunting, though, right? And you you mentioned it earlier, right? You get out there and, you know, you, you kind of lower your expectation on you know maybe the area you're in or you know the ducks migrating that day um but there's something to be said about just keeping after it right being persistent and pursuing them um there's some Mm -hmm. valuable some valuable lessons in in just keeping after it man because it always pays off at the end yes it, it really does and that's like when we got back we knew what we were getting ourselves into last year I counted my numbers and I had killed 250 ducks last year for the season. This year, I only killed 120. And it goes, I mean, numbers vary up and down, but it's still 
as long as I'm out in the woods doing it, I'm perfectly fine with it. And that's what, and that's just like you were saying, that's the important thing. I mean, just staying in the woods and not giving up on what you love to do. And you learn to me, at least right in those, in those off years, that's when I learned the most, right? When everything is clicking and going right, we kind of close our eyes to what we could take in, what we could absorb to make ourselves better, right? We we just forget a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when it's tough, man, you're out there, you're grinding, you're trying to figure it out, you're changing that call sequence, you know, you're just trying to, you're, you're just working through it all. So I think we take a little bit more away, man, from those rougher years, for sure. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, this pa- this past year, 2018 season, I learned more about duck hunting than I have in the past three years. It's just, like you said, slowing down and having to work through and think about what you can do to kill the birds that you had over your head is what really makes a season in waterfowl hunting worthwhile. And the when you're able to pull it off and the numbers are low and you're working it, it, it feels that much better than walking away with the 250 birds, right? I mean, you had to work your butt off, you know, figure out what they're looking for, what call they wanted. And, you know, and then, and then I understand that the decoy spread, the way it's set up is, uh, is all calculated as well. Yes, it is. I mean, this past year, I've probably, cause our goose season, that's, I'm normally, I do mainly goose hunting. I've kind of fell in love with goose hunting more than I have duck hunting. Just being a layout blind in a field to me is pretty amazing. Geese flying right over your head at probably five foot coming into the field in front of you. It's just a sight that I think if you want to get in the waterfowl, it's a sight that you will see and will knock you off your feet and make you fall in love with it. And, um, but this past year with the numbers being low, it was, I, every weekend that I had that Friday, I got out of school. I was driving. That's all I was doing was driving and looking for birds. I was, I've gained more direction, sense of direction this past year through my town and towns around it that I've had places to hunt in the past looking for birds than I have the past, like I said, the past three years. I mean, the past three years that we've been hunting here, it's just, we can find birds very quickly. But this past year, you know, we all knew like, dude, we've had a pretty good couple of years. He said, there's a bad year, a slower year coming. And we were like, it might be this year. And figure, figure out it was. And we were like, well, dang, we got to do something about this and try to keep our numbers up. Because we have a lot of the guys that I hunt with are no guys from Oklahoma and all the Midwest doing from waterfowl hunting out there. And um, we kind of make it a, a friendly competition or try to see if we can boost our numbers up and just keep in like a number race with the guys that we hunt with from all over. And, um, but, and that's why this year for us, 
and for the, our guys in Oklahoma, we both had slow years because January, the first of January this past year, we had two trips planned to Oklahoma, and they both got canceled due to no birds. Just the winter, this past winter was not good. Stayed too hot. Never really got to where the birds would be able to push down into the south. And we knew people in Kansas that were sending us pictures, racking up just eight man limit one morning, eight man limit the next morning, 13 man limit the third day. Just they were killing ducks left and right. And our guys were just two hours below them in Oklahoma. And weren't killing a thing. And you guys are at the end of that fly corridor there. So, yeah, that I never considered that, right? That makes it a little rough being at the end of that, uh, yeah. pretty much the end of that run for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the past last year, I was supposed to go out there and I wasn't able to make it. But last year, they said from what I'd seen and what they had told me, was the best year that they had had in a couple of years. And my buddies from Dalton that I hunt with every weekend I can, they went out there and in four days, they killed 357 ducks. How many guys? They smoked them. It was six guys, six of my buddies. And they had, I think five or six more that they had known from South Carolina that went out there as well. And they had big numbers every day. It was one day was a 13 man limit. The next day was a 16 man limit. Just the, they have so much footage from that hunt. Those, that four day hunt that they did. It's just phenomenal. You see birds. You see birds every 10 seconds flying across the screen and them just jumping up, hooting and hollering, <laughs> carrying on, having a good time. Just, it goes to show when the numbers are right, it's a party. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. That's awesome, man. So a younger perspective, man. Why don't you give us, right? I mean, and I'm not trying to make you feel any way or you know say anything down to you or anything by any means. But a lot of what you hear is, you know, younger generation wrapped up in video games or, you know, social media all the time. I think we're all guilty of the social media thing, but there's not a lot of focus, at least for on on overall. Right. We don't see a lot of youth outdoors as much as outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us would like to see. What's your perspective on that, man? What what drives you and why and, and how and why and is it so important to you? I mean, like my, my dad, ever since I was little, he'd say, you know, you're just a grumpopotamus. He said, you're a grumpy old man in a little kid's body. And I'd say, what do you, what do you mean by that? He said, your maturity level is so much higher than I think anybody that you're around at school or anything. You just, because when I was younger, I started shooting pistol competitions when I was 10 and it was me and my dad and all of his buddies that were same age as him and I'd go in and fit in with all them and just have a good time and 
she what and just she just shit basically and have a good I mean it's just a different way I think there's different ways people are raised to love the outdoors because there were, I mean I had a stage where I was playing a little bit of video games here and there but I think once that the actual maturity level kicked in and I matured more, it kind of threw all that out of the picture. And, um, but what kept, what's kept me outdoors is my dad, honestly. He, uh, he, he owned a bike shop for 10 years. We were riding, doing riding, kayaking, canoeing, just staying outside. That's, he loved the outdoors and he, he put it on me to, I mean, what a dad normally wants to do to their son is kind of get them outside and just let them be, let them be free to run outdoors. And, um, but well, he owned, he owned the bike shop for 10 years and that kind of really put a hold on things. He, um, before then we were competition shooting, camping, fly fishing and um doing a little bit of hunting here and there that was when i first started getting into it and uh but when he opened up the bike shop and he'll he'll admit it as well that it took up time running your being a small business owner took time and that's when i kind of really had to set myself aside and kind of start doing stuff on my own going out and finding people who could give me rides to go hunt here and go hunt there and then just getting the, in touch with the people that I've gotten in touch with over the years is what's kept my drive. It's just the friendships you make through having a passion to hunt and stay outdoors like somebody else is something that you never want to lose. Because it's more about having a good time and staying outside than being stuck up and not having anybody to anybody to go with or anybody to look to to kind of get out there and do things with you and whatnot. And um, just I kind of got to go ahead. So the drive in it, right? I mean, 12 to 17, right? We're talking, we're talking five years, man. And you're talking like a seasoned veteran <laughs> when we start talking about waterfowl, right? That's some yeah. serious drive, man. I mean, I, I, I get the camaraderie, right? It's just a blast to be outdoors and hunting. Um, but that says a lot, man, because a guy your age has a heck of a lot of distractions, right? I don't care where you're from, what part of the country, there's a lot of distractions in front of you know, a teenager. Um, yeah. So to, to, so to find, to me, it's a beautiful thing for you to find that passion, man, and, and, and be so wholeheartedly into it. And that's your drive. That's where you're taking your trips, man. That's a, that's a big deal, dude. Um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, like I said, I, to me, there, there needs to be more of it, man. It's important. So do you, have you got any, you know, any buddies or anything into the waterfowl that, that maybe hadn't, you know, experienced it or, you got guys asking you about I, it. I have, I had 
when I was two years ago, I transferred schools to a county school that's in my county because I was go. You know, I went to city schools my whole life, and um, ever since I was little, I kind of had that gut feeling like this ain't the place for me to be. It's kind of more in our town. The main high school that I went to was Dalton High School, and it's more of a uh, sports, a lot of sports, and not really so much of other activities there. But while I was there, I played lacrosse for two years and then finally convinced my mom and dad, like, hey, this place is not for me. And because um, I was more, like you said, the outdoorsy, type of person to want to get outside and be outside for forever pretty much like that's my future goal is to get in the outdoor industry but once I moved schools I kind of made buddies with some guys that were similar to me and loved the outdoors and I had been waterfowl hunting for two years two or three years before them and one day I asked him, hey, y'all ever done any duck hunting? And I like, no. And I was like, here, this weekend, y'all, let's go with me and I'll take y'all waterfowl. And, um, dude, it's, it's phenomenal what you can see in somebody who's never done it before. Watch it turn them into somebody who's like all for it. Obsessed with it. <laughs> it's just. It's a blessing and a I curse, don't know. man. <laughs> it's yeah, a- it's. For sure, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> right, because I can. <laughs> you wake up, you think about it. You go to bed, you're thinking about it. I don't care what hunting you're talking about. Elk hunting, deer hunting, bear hunting, waterfowl. Most hunters it I know, It all does man. the same thing. Yeah, it, it is crazy. And it just brings a smile to your face, right? As soon as I said that, you know, you got it. Um, it, it's just something yeah. else, man. And and I get it, right? When, you, when you're able to lead someone down that path, and you know how you feel about it, and you see that expression on their face, and that light comes on, and their eyes start to glow. I mean, it, that's almost better than that thirteen man limit, sixteen man limit, right? I mean, you're just like, yeah, you know, I did it, I did it, right? He gets it. Yeah, exactly. And that's like with me. That's also another reason why I keep the drive. Is I look to people. That's what I want to do is find people that have an interest in it, but don't really have anybody to lead them in the right direction. And that's what the two, the two guys that I had taken out, they uh, like, yeah, we, we want to get into it, but we really don't have anywhere to go. And I was like, here, y'all can just go with me. And that morning when they were in the duck blind with me and they saw that first group of ducks coming over the trees, I turned and looked at them. And they were both grinning ear to ear. It was, I was like, I think the trick, I think it's done the trick, getting them out here this morning and putting them on some birds. And from then on, both of them have taken off with it and just ran. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And to, now that, to be able to mentor guys like that, man, especially at, at 17 years old, dude, says a yeah, lot about the man you are. And, now, us three go out every chance we get. And one of them, he, uh, I'd never done turkey hunting. I'd never been turkey hunting a day in my life until two years ago when 
a buddy of mine was like, hey, you ever done any turkey hunting? And um, he kind of returned the favor on, it was a blessing but a curse. <laughs> and uh, he said, you got me into duck hunting, so here, take this one. And he got me into turkey hunting, dude. It's, it's a whole different ball game. And that bird has led to a ton of frustration. And very much so. This year has been some pretty good fun memories of frustration. So you shotgun and, a turkey um, or are you using your bow on the turkey? I'm shotgunning right now, but I want to get one with my bow soon, hopefully. And, um, but this year we've came, I haven't killed a bird this year, a turkey yet. And, um, but I came super, me and the same guy that introduced me to it, we still go out every chance we can together and just go back to basically like the first day. Kind of just, just me and him in the woods together, just doing our thing, having a good time, carrying on. And there's been days when, Open the morning this pack this year, we had fifteen turkey. We had fifteen goblins, and I was, I looked at him. I was like, "Dude, where do we go?" Like, we were sitting there looking at each other for probably twenty minutes. Like, which one are we going to go after? Like, we could, we had no idea. We were both in shock. Like, there was nothing. Besides, like, you want to just sit down right here? And so we just sat down, and um, but. We didn't get on a bird that hunt, even though we heard so many goblin. They just shut up and quit goblin. It was it was insane to hear that many birds go from goblin like crazy to silence. Now, did you start calling and they went silent, or how'd that pan out? That yeah, we started. We got down and started calling, and it was just like they just shut off. I'm like, well, I guess our calling ain't that. Not good. I was gonna say they pegged, they pegged you. <laughs> yeah, but we have a place that we hunt that's just all ridges, just back and forth, up and down, up and down. And there will be days when we'll walk seven miles. There will be days when we we'll walk a mile. And just being out there with a close friend and chasing what we love to hunt is the drive. It's just, it doesn't matter about the walking or it's the walking can get frustrating, but you just think of the outcome of what could happen at the end of that walk. That's right. That last gobble. That's it. Right back to what we said earlier, right? That the times when you're not Mm -hmm. getting it done, that's when you, that's when you're taking it all in. Exactly. And that's, and goes to show that frustration sometimes can get the best of you, but in the end, it's always a good laugh. And it takes, and the good laugh takes over the frustration. Cause, and about two weeks ago, I'd say something around there, we were at, he was like, you want to turkey? I was like, sure. He's like, let's go to your place and see what we can do. And we had turkeys. We had two goblins, and they're both far off, and so we just picked the closest one. And long story short, 
we were set up for two hours straight on a pet turkey. That <laughs> 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 we had we had no idea. We were sitting in a field and up on the hill, probably five hundred yards away on the other side of the property line is a church and a house. And we'd sit there and yelp and cut and this turkey would just start hammering. He'd gobble three times in a row and like, Dude, we're gonna kill this turkey. <laughs> Me and him were talking to each other, we're gonna kill this turkey. And we sat there for probably an hour and a half. Turkey was in the same spot. He's like, I'm telling you, it's across the road on the other side of the church. I was like, dude, he's right here on the, me and him got into an argument about it. <laughs> to see where this turkey was, and I was like, let's just walk up on this ridge and see if we can see him. And the next thing I know, I'm like, dude, there's a hen right there in that chicken cage. <laughs> and he, yep, he yelps, and you hear a turkey gobble. And we're like, that gobbler's in the back of that tin in that cage underneath that little shed. And I walk up there, and it's a little Jake sitting in the cage just looking at me. And I yelped at him right there, and he started gobbling. I was like, <laughs> I was like, it goes to show, like, you're like, thinking to yourself, like, what a fool to be sitting here chasing a turkey in a cage. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good like, thing. Oh, man. That's like better. You wasted two hours of your morning to chase a turkey in a cage. Like, really? Uh, that's better than chasing somebody else sitting under the tree calling. Yes. Oh, that's funny, man. And it was that, like memories. That's one that's going to be forever. Yeah, you'll talk like about that. Uh-huh. To the end of your days, you'll remember that. Yes, that's most definitely. Funny, man. So change it up a little bit, man. So Kong Valley Collective, um, this is a collective episode. Um, You're a part of that. Um, One of their legends, their youngest legend. So why don't you give us some background, man, and your part in Kong and what you think about it and why Kong Valley? Um, I got in touch with Kong Valley. They reached out to me and I got in touch with the guys and uh, it's just like a brotherhood. They reached out to me and treated me like I was there with them. Like we had been knowing each other for, for a long time. I mean, they had bumped me up now. I'm the youth ambassador for Kong Valley and um, just the messages they put out sticks. It's strong messages that puts the drive in people to do what they love to do. And that's every day I look at the message and that's what helps me get to the day. Like I got to go to school and I got to go to work, but Kong Valley keeps it, the message strong enough to where I'm like, this is what I get to do after. After I get all my stuff done, I get to go to the woods and they're a, it's a good bunch of guys. I like, I'm glad they, I've gotten to be a good part of them and kept in touch with all the people that are in Kong Valley. And it's a bunch of good leader, leaders that have come together to paint the picture of how hunting should be in my perspective. And they, they don't say it's all about the killing. 
it's all about how big it is or how much how much it weighs or how many you have it's about just being outdoors and enjoying what you have and taking advantage of everything you got and um as a as a youth ambassador are you are you looking for other youth ambassadors or how does that role play it's kind of looking for other youth ambassadors and then also just being a role in the younger generation to help get more people outdoors and get them in the hunting industry and kind of just get them to have the drive to get outdoors and have the passion to hunt and chase what they want to do. Share that time and in the with woods. Some people, with some people, that's what it takes. Like, I know, I wouldn't say I know a good bit of people, but I know a certain few that want to get to the woods, but they don't have the resources they need to get out there. And that's where I kind of want to play the role in saying, hey, you want to come hunt with me and kind of just give back to the people that don't have that aren't fortunate enough to have what I have to be able to go out and hunt. And that's what drive. I mean, that's the drive that like going back to what we had talked about before is just introducing people to the outdoors and the hunting side of things. And it's not just hunting, right? When, I mean, you start talking about outdoors and the importance of, uh, of that time, right? Like you said, with, with you and your dad there, you know, biking and, and kayak and getting out and fishing. I mean, that, those are all avenues, right. That we can take, um, you know, if somebody, like you said, doesn't have the means to get out there and, you know, jump in a kayak or get out and drop a line in the water, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the opener for a lot of folks, man, you know, into that great experience of the outdoors. Oh yeah. And that's like, I got a, uh, he's my, he's basically my God brother. He was, my dad said he was kind of like a stray and we kind of pulled him in to um, our family. He's a, he's, me and him are really close. We, he's been in our, we'd say part of our family since he was 16. And um, he's 25 now, but two years ago was the first time he had ever been fishing. He was 23. And um, me and my dad, we have a drift boat. And we go trout fishing on it down the river. And dad was like, you want to ask Christian if he wants to go? And I was like, sure, why not? And let's see what. And he was like, y'all really going to take me fishing? He said, I've never been fishing before. And just seeing that, light up on his face when we asked him to go. Like you said, just puts a smile on your face knowing that you're getting somebody outdoors that has been wanting to do something for a very long time, but just never really wanted to ask or have the ability to go out and do it. And that's pretty, I mean, we hear stuff like that, right? And, and it's almost shocking. Like, you know, you've never been fishing. Um, that's something else, man, that, uh, it surprises me when I hear things like that. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised, especially in some of our urban centers, right? That's a big deal. Um, yeah, you know, that's, 
Yeah, that's something else, man. It, that always amazes me. But that's awesome that, you know, you you are taking that approach and it's important to you to get folks out there, man. That, that says a whole heck of a lot, man. That's that that's that grumpy. And, that's that grumpy old man that your pops was talking about. There. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but he, he had told us the only other time that he had been fishing, he sat there on the bank and watched his dad get drunk on the dock and he just sat there and I was like, I want to change. I want to change his look at right, what that is, yeah. and just kind of get, get that out of his head and get him into something that this is what it's like. And this is how the approach should be. That's huge, man. That is huge. So you had said, uh, that your dream is to get into the outdoor industry, man. Why don't you give us a little bit about that future outlook and what you're trying and what you're hoping to accomplish. And, um, but since it's my senior year this year, so dad's giving me old boot in the butt, get out on your own. <laughs> Not really, but, uh, he's kind of urged it on a little bit, but, what I really, ever since, I'd say about December, I've been looking really hard to find a job out west on a ranch in either Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, just all over, just trying to get out west. Because my mom and dad, when I was 12, my brother, my little brother was 11, they said, we're going to take you out west and kind of show them, show us the route they went when they would go out west. And um, we took a 17-day round trip and went through. We drove 5,000 miles in 17 days and um, went through the, the Rockies, stayed in Colorado for a couple of nights. And the place that I fell in love with was Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's just being up there is just a whole different level. And um, that's what... That's where my name came from, Jackson. My mom and dad went on their honeymoon out there, and they said, whatever comes first, a dog or a child, or <laughs> name <of> Jackson. <laughs> and so I was kind of, I was like, a dog or a child, compared <laughs> to a dog. And, um, but when I got out there, I was like, this is a place that I want to live. Something that I want to, my future to be in is out west in Wyoming or somewhere like that. But this these past couple of months, man, it's just been applying for job after job after job. I'd probably apply for over thirty jobs out west on ranches and never heard a word back from a single one. But it doesn't having that doesn't shut down the drive. It pushes it even harder. Mm -hmm. There you go. Honestly, it pushes me to keep on trying to see my passion and figure out a way to make it where I want to go. Wyoming, even if it takes, it is. It is very. I mean, the first time I saw it, I just sat there and I was like, "Holy cow, this is." Big country. It's just 
like you said, it's beautiful. I couldn't, I couldn't just sit there like other kids sit in the camper and play video games. I was wanting to go out and explore what I had there while the chance I had to get out there and do it. So you but, go, to, you go to Wyoming, man, you're going to definitely have to pick that bow back up, right? Cause you're talking one of the most game rich States with some phenomenal opportunities, antelope, mule deer, elk. I mean, you name it, man. Yeah. It's, you know, Wyoming is, uh, is amazing, man. Amazing. I'll for sure. I'm, that was my goal this year. My bow was out of commission this year because I had a little side issue. So I didn't get to pick up, pick it up a single time this year. And it was frustrating, but I was like this summer, I'm going to get it dialed in. and Next year's going to be more deer hunting more than anything. Kind of switch it up a little bit here and there. But going back to getting out west. One of the, I'm sorry to cut you off. One of the uh, KVC executives there, man, Luke Elifritz. That's your Wyo Connect, man. That that guy there is yeah. uh, Mr. Wyoming, right? Um, <laughs> he is. Talk about a talk about a western hunting stud. That's yeah, the man right and, uh, there. I've got in touch with him. We've talked a little bit about a a few things, and we're still. I'm still trying to see if I can get some contacts or kind of like a uh, kind of like the upper hand on a few things on to see if I can get my name in somewhere and try and make it out there. And, um, but that was the thing with all the other ranches. I, we had talked about it and that was, I think out there it's more of like a uh, know somebody type deal to get onto those big guest ranches to be able to work. I think it's more of a know somebody who's worked there and know kind of, they see that Georgia tag on that email and they're like, do we really think this kid's going to be able to make it out here to work? And that's what kind of, they, they got to, I'm sure they, they look at the age too, right. And kind of yeah. scratch their heads a little bit. Right. Cause back to it, right. And no offense, but there's call it a stereotype, right. When, when we start talking about the younger yeah. generation and, you know, you hear all that stuff all the time. So yeah, just grinding mm-hmm. it out and, you know, proving them wrong and showing them, showing that you're serious about it, man, that that's going to be a big deal. And just keep it on. And like my dad's always told me, if they don't call back, you keep calling. That's just how it's going to have to be with the newer generation. Like you said, stereotype. Yeah. It's a, that's a uphill battle, man. I wish you the best in that, you know, to, to be looking at that at your age and I, dude, I'm sorry, but I have to keep going back to it. Right. I mean, that, that says a lot, um, to have that perspective and to say, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be that early on, man. That's, that's a good deal, but. But even if it takes me a couple of years to get out there, I'm going to try and do my best to make it. Even if it's, Working here, staying home for a while, and figuring something out. And um, but I think 
there's some big opportunities around home that I've been set into with certain with a few people just from having a work experience here and people people talking and kind of getting a look and knowing how and who I am. I've heard I've had some different job offers here and there from some big companies around here, but I still, even if I go and work with them for a couple of years or something, my drive is still to get out with. Mm-hmm. Got to chase that dream, man. Make that dream a reality. I mean, that's what's important right mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I'm, I'm sure your folks will tell you, and you know, I don't know, 80, 90% of the, the general public will tell you, Manny, nothing like doing what you love to do versus what you got to go do to pay the bills. That's a, that's exactly. a big old deal there, man. Passionate about it. Stay after it. Just keep grinding it out, man. It'll, it'll mm-hmm. all fall into place, right? Work ethic and, you know, people see that drive and everything else. Can't deny it. Can't deny it. And like what I always look to is, I always look back to God and say, he has a plan for everyone and he's got my plan worked out the way it's going to go. He's going to point me and take me through ups and downs to get me to where I want to be. And that's like with my dad working with uh, SE Knives and Randall's Victor Training. I've had some really good opportunities to get in with some guys and get outdoors because that's pretty much outdoors is his office. And um, it fits it fits well and he he's enjoying it and I'm enjoying it too because I get to ride along here and there and do some stuff that I really have interest in and um, just staying outdoors. That's what it's all about to me. Heck yeah. So you recently did uh, did some uh, firearms training or something I saw. I did. What was that about? It was that was with uh, it was with SNI's my dad's company that he works for. It was he had talked. He went down earlier that last week, and he was like, "You want to come down and shoot this class?" I was like, "Sure, why not?" I I had not shot in probably a couple of years because I quit competition shooting three years ago because on one of one of the days that I had a competition, I had a grandfather pass away. And um, from then on, I don't know what it was, but me and my dad both just kind of the gun down to help focus on the family and kind of get everything back into place and where we wanted it, where he wanted it to be. And just being his help and being the oldest son in the family kind of help be a big role with him to help him out and do things that we needed to do to get back to where we needed to be. Um, but that firearms training, it was a, uh, they kind of wanted to do a class to where they were just running it by to see, because SC Knives and Reynolds are good training. They don't want to do, they don't want to be for pistol shooting cl- or self-defense classes. They want to be known for the survival training. You want to talk about some guys that will teach you how to do survive in the woods? 
that's where you need to be. And um, before my dad got hooked up with them, got a job with them, he was going to them as a customer when he owned a bike shop. And they do a class. It's a, it's a three-day class. You go out with what you have on. You show up with what you have on, and you leave with what you have on. You don't have any – you don't have a luggage bag, no other change of clothes, just whatever you have on, that's what you're doing the class in. And what they do is they come right out the gate and just wear you out on purpose. They come out wearing you out just to get you down. And then they say, go in the woods and survive on your own. You won't see us for three days. And it's you and a team of probably 10, 10 or so guys. And you got to find a, basically live off the land and be on your own. Like it's an actual scenario where you're having to survive for several days. So what can you just put you in the, what can you take with you? Taking knives in with you, any weapon, pistol or anything like that? Are you just going out? Normally, pretty much they say the thing was what you can fit in your pockets. But that's not how it rolls. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and tell you that right now. They say that, but just if you take it, be ready. Because more than likely, you're going to walk out there and you're going to be like, well, what the heck? I brought all this stuff for nothing. And, um, but the way they teach and the way the training that these guys have done to be able to teach these classes is phenomenal. And they do classes from their home base in Alabama to going to the Amazon in the summertime and doing classes down there. And um, But they did this class this past weekend, the shooting class that I went to, to do kind of like a run it by some people that they, could, that they knew would give them an honest answer on what they thought about the class and people they could trust with a gun to be there to kind of run through that class to see what they can do to make, make a class in the future if they wanted to. And, um, but it went from the medical side of things. Like you got shot using tourniquets, stopping, like putting pressure on gun wounds and what, and other stuff like that to where you were standing face to face with a target. And then all of a sudden he'd say gun front and you have to defend yourself to that target. And then it was kind of a mental side of things. It was a lot of shooting, but it kind of helped you with the mental side of things. If you ever had to get in a situation like that, where you were face to face with a guy and he so happened to pull a gun on you and you had to fight back. And there was, Teamwork, team jobs that you had to do and other things, running reload one-handed, learning how to get a double feed out one-handed using your off hand and your strong hand. And just, you'd be sitting there talking with him and just out of the blue, you'd hear tourniquet left leg, five seconds. If you don't make it, everybody's doing centipede push-ups. 
And so you have to be able to get to that. Like it was a real life situation. Like you just got shot and be able to do that in the amount of time to help you stop the bleeding and get the cover. So what'd you take away from it? I took away every, a lot. It was, I didn't get to go the first day. It was a school day. They started on a Friday. And I was like, you're going to school. You ain't coming down here. And I was like, all right, I guess. <laughs> so I came down the second day and the stuff that I had learned, it will help. I mean, it goes to show that you think, some people really think they can go out and get in a gunfight until you go get put in a scenario when you have the stress level that you would normally have in a real gunfight and you look back on it, you're like, dude, if I had an actual gunfight, I'd be dead right now. Like, some of the things that we had done was just unreal. I mean, not in a bad way, but it opened your eyes. They did. Yeah. They did a very good job on scenarios where they would give you a lot of priorities that you couldn't just pick up and do all at once. You have to go think and assess these priorities and do them by what needed to be done first in a row to get what you needed to get done. So you got to triage, triage the priorities. And work with what you got. And because the, the thing was, what I really liked out of the whole class is they gave us scenarios where you were like in a Walmart or something and you like dropped your, your daughter and your wife off at a Walmart. And you were out sitting in the truck and then you get a phone call and your wife's saying, someone's shooting, someone's shooting in here and the phone drops and all you hear is shots going off. And they put you in a scenario where you have to pull up in a truck so that basically like you're going in the front door and then you got to assess the situation and what's going on and then take action. And the first thing I saw when I got out of that truck was my dog quotes laying on the ground and you got to go and assess what's going on with her while the instructor and another guy are sitting there screaming bloody murder in your ears. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He's shooting at you. What are you going to like? Just getting your nerves so worked up. It's just, you got to close in and think about what you have to do and block them out. And it was to the point where you had to assess her and she was acting playing dead. So you were like, you had to find a pulse. There was no, like, they had to act like there was no pulse. They were like, she's dead. You got to move on. And they did really good at distracting. And you get to cover and you start going to shoot down range and shooting the still targets. And they just keep on you. What are you going to do? She's screaming. She's dying. Like, just, there was three other people set up on the range or two. It was your wife and your daughter. And, um, all you heard was your wife sitting there screaming bloody murder. Where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? She played 
a good role in that. The lady that was there played an amazing role. It was, she put, she knew, knew how to put stress on people to help them benefit from it. And just moving people to cover, knowing what you have to do to, and how to assess your situation if it came down to where you had to call 911 and be able to tell them what happened and make it sound like you were the protector and you weren't the shooter. And because what we did is they, you have to assess the situation and you dial nine, act like you were dialing 911. And the guy would act like he was the 911 officer, what's your emergency? And you'd have to name the description, active shooting in Walmart, how many people are dead. And then we had a guy who would, uh, he played the role in kind of being the officer that showed up and he played it well. He, he cut you off every sentence you had to say, like, how many people did you kill? Why did you kill these people? You'd go to answer, why did you kill these people? There was no point in killing these people. And you would, the stress level from all that, not even being a real life situation. Keep you out of Walmart for a little while. Yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it puts it puts stuff in your head where you're like, and this situation in real life, you have to, you have so many things go wrong where you're like, I need to train more if I'm ever going to get in this situation. And that's what it was meant to do was to help you realize that you can't just go out there and get in a gunfight with somebody and know what you're going to do. You got to be, be able to sit there and think about it and be like, I'm really getting in a gunfight. Like, this is no joke. And be able, be able to have the nerve and the drive to assess the situations and do it in the right way to be sure to keep you and whoever's with you safe from what would happen. Yeah, that's not something I, I don't think you can fake that scenario, right? You got to have those stressors involved in any any type of training and even at that, right? Going from oh yeah, scenario to into a situation like that, right? I mean, that's uh yeah, everybody was that uh Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Exactly. But a little bit a little bit of preparedness, man, sure beats none at all. So, like, like that scenario, you knew it wasn't real, but in a real life situation, like you said, everybody has a plan till they're actually getting shot at. They think their plan is going to work till somebody's actually slinging lead at you, trying to put you on the ground. Yeah, not something that most of us want to find ourselves in front of, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Even even with the and training, right? That's something that we're steering clear of for sure. But, yes, you know, very that, much so. That preparedness training, man, and being able to at least adapt to that situation, being put in that stress, man, is a big deal. That's awesome that you, uh, you were able to go through mm-hmm. that. So what are we looking like, man, for the 2019 season? What do you got? Uh, got anything in the works or planned out thus far? 
Um, not yet. I've been talking to a few people, trying to figure some trips out on what we're going to do to kind of make this season a little bit better. <laughs> then, even though last season was slow, we still see it as an up. We still see it as an up, and it's just going every season, no matter the numbers, like you said, just being outdoors is what keeps the positive vibe going and keeps you your drive strong. And um, hopefully this season will be – I'll be making a trip to Oklahoma to play the smackdown. Not sure, but I'm more than likely going to try to get some trips out there and then maybe even out west to do a uh, archery elk hunt if I can. And so – What state are you looking at for the archery elk? Utah, maybe. Kind of, we've talked, me and Dad have talked about it, kind of trying to figure out where we want to go to look at that. Because some of them tags are a little expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that the non-resident price is definitely, uh, is definitely steep, man. Um, I did mm-hmm. Wyoming last year, and uh, yeah, it cost a pretty penny. And, uh, yeah, I got my boy, he's your age, he's 17. So we'll be, we'll be heading to Colorado. We got a couple weeks planned in September to go chase elk Colorado this year. They got, you know, great over the counter opportunity. So we're just going to drop the over the counter tags and get after that, man. But that time in the woods with, uh, with your pops there, man, that's, you know, I don't have to tell you, but that's what it's about, man. Even if you don't get in it on it. It is. And that's like, when, like going back to the beginning, when I first started deer hunting with my dad, we hunted on a club for five years and didn't see a single deer, single squirrel, just going out and sitting and not seeing a thing. I think that's what also has helped my drive and made me a stronger and more passionate hunter than anything. And because there's a dad could tell the story of when I was one of the first days that we were, or one of the last days we were on this club. I was sitting there, I saw a little little sparrow sitting on a limb. I said, Dad, can I shoot that sparrow? And I was shooting a 30 out six. And it just went to show that I had the drive to get out there and sit for five years straight and have the drives to be wanting to not really like wanting to kill, but wanting to be in the hunting side of things. I think we've all been there. And shoot the sparrow. Wanting to shoot a sparrow with a 30-06. Yeah, I think we've all, maybe maybe not the 30 odd six, man. Yeah. <laughs> Poor but, little uh, bird. <laughs> I wound up not shooting it just to let, let everybody know that it wasn't, I did not shoot a sparrow and explode it with a 30 six. So one of the things then that I like to touch on, men in every episode um, that's that's important to me and important to most hunters is conservation, man. So just a one to two minute take on on conservation from from your view 
and give us some of your insight in conservation? Oh, conservation for us is a big thing. I I really want to the places that we hunt that I have permission to hunt. I look to make it to where it's kind of like a habitat. It's a place where ducks can come and be able to feed and have the resources they need to do the circle of life. And um, but I like there's a a place that we had used to be able to hunt. And now it's just a, uh, we just use it for like a, like you said, conservation. Like we've put, since we have wood ducks, we put six wood ducks boxes up, wood duck boxes up and put out planted corn last year and just kind of made it to where they have what they need to survive. Um, but I know we have ducks unlimited. And we have, they just started up a Delta waterfowl in our area and they do a really good job at the conservation side of things. Habitat restoration. And, and Exactly. And that's like with, we have a company in our town called Dot Utilities and they own massive chunks of property in our town. And a lot of the guys that work for them are in Delta Waterfowl and um, Ducks Unlimited or Dalton Utilities. They own so many swamplands that they have cut off to the public and nobody can hunt it. It's just a reserve for birds to come to. And like you said, a habitat rest- restoration and all that stuff to kind of keep the birds coming but also keep them, the numbers going up and doing everything they need to survive and produce what is coming to the next year. That's important, man. From waterfowl to big game, got to play that role and do our part there, man. So anything you want to say, any messages, any shout-outs to your boys, um before we jump off of this just stay passionate stay passionate and stay stay with the drive no matter if you kill how many you kill numbers are numbers just being outdoors and enjoying god's creation and having memories is what it's all about spoken like a grumpy old man (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome man well i uh i greatly appreciate your time man um i know you got to get in bed you got a bedtime i had to jab you bud um Uh, not really (laughs) (laughs) oh but no i appreciate your time man it was great talking to you um i wish you the best anything that uh that we could do help you you know pursue that that drive and that passion man just reach out and see what we could do, see if we can talk to folks or, you know, you want to pitch something to somebody, you let us know. Oh, well, thank you. It's good to get on here and kind of let the story, tell my story and kind of know that it's what it's, what it's all about and my perspective on things. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's important, man, to share 
not only, you know, grown men and women, but you know, that, that youthful perspective, right? You, you are the future of this passion of ours. So it's important to share that perspective as well, man. So again, I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll be talking to you, man. Stay in touch. Yeah, for sure. You can catch up with Jackson on Instagram at Jackson 040. To learn more about Kong Valley Collective, head over to westerncontours.com and hit the link on the partners page. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.